Okay, Genesis 42 this morning. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 42. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, we're just going to read verse 1 and 2 and then we'll open in prayer. Genesis 42 verse 1 says, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither, and buy for us uh, from thence, that we may live and not die. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you that we can <clears throat> gather around your word in this place. Lord, I pray that as we uh, consider uh, once more the life of Joseph and his brethren, that, Lord, you would teach us, you instruct us this morning, Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit, that you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, wisdom that only can give, and that, Lord, you would meet us where we're at this morning, that you bless us, refresh us through your word, challenge us, and, Lord, I pray that we leave singing your praises and giving all glory and honour unto your name. And I pray that you bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, last Sunday evening, uh, we considered, if you... If you remember, if you were here or if you listened to it online, we considered Joseph's own testimony of what God had done in his own heart. And he gave testimony to that in the naming of his two sons. And so we considered those two sons. We, we saw that he called his firstborn son Manasseh. And he declared in verse 51 of the previous chapter, he said, For God hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. And so the name Manasseh was speaking of this wonderful truth that God had helped him to forgive and to forget the wrongs of the past. You know, Joseph declares that he held no bitterness in his heart towards his brethren. Now, after all they'd done towards him, he, he didn't hold bitterness towards Potiphar or towards Potiphar's wife or anyone else who'd wronged him. God had enabled him, God had helped him to forgive and forget. And then he named his second son Ephraim, declaring, For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so with this name, we saw that Joseph was uh, focusing on the present goodness of God in his life. He was focusing on, you know, all that God had done for him. He's looking back and seeing how God's hand was in it all, and he gives praise to God. He gives thanks to God for God making him fruitful. And so Joseph had learned to forgive the wrongs of the past and to focus on the present goodness of God in his life. And now as we come to chapter 42, we see that all of this is really put to the test, isn't it? As Joseph now faces his brothers for the first time in over 20 years. You know, as we consider the story before us, and I know we know the story well, you know, as we consider the story before us, we, we see that Joseph doesn't retaliate, but rather all the way through it, Joseph deals with his brothers in a patient, loving and wise way. You know, some may ask the question, you know, why doesn't Joseph just immediately tell his brothers who he is, you know, immediately reveal himself unto them? And the answer is that God uses Joseph's actions to bring his brothers to a point of repentance. You see, 20 years had passed since they uh, had sold their own brother into slavery, but they had not dealt with their sin in that 20 years. They had hardened their hearts. You know, they'd hardened their hearts, they'd buried the secret of their sin. 
of what they'd done unto Joseph. And for 20 years, they'd been living a lie. You know, they hadn't confessed it to God. They hadn't confessed it unto their father. And therefore, they first of all had to be brought to a place where they would confront their sin before reconciliation could uh, take place. Now, Wearsby writes this, True reconciliation requires sincere repentance and humble confession of sin. God had to bring Joseph's brothers to the place where they admitted the evil things they had done to their brother and unto their father before there could be true reconciliation. You see, in the chapter before us, and indeed the next chapter as well, we we see that Joseph's actions are used by God uh, to bring his brothers to the point of repentance. His actions are used by God to bring them to confront their sin and their accountability before God. You know, it seems almost as if Joseph is acting at the direct instruction of the Lord in these things. Now, Matthew Henry said this, he said, It is a probable conjecture that his whole management of himself in this affair was by special direction from heaven, that the purpose of God concerning Jacob and his family might be accomplished. And so it is indeed certainly possible that Joseph here is acting under, under direct instruction from God in all of these things that he does. But even if he doesn't have direct instruction, we know that Joseph is a spirit-filled man, isn't he? Yeah, he's a spirit-filled man, and so he is certainly being led by the spirits in these actions. And so this morning we begin to see a series of events designed by God to bring the brothers face to face with their sin and face to face with their accountability before God. So notice, first of all, we see the famine. The first event that God uses is the famine itself. Look there in verse 1. It says, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt, Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and die not. Now, of course, as we know, God has revealed to Pharaoh that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, uh, extreme famine, such as the, the land has not seen before. And the seven years of plenty has ended. Now the seven years of famine is upon the land. And of course, it's not just being felt in Egypt. It's being felt also in the surrounding regions. So back home in Canaan, where Joseph's family is, Jacob and his other sons are finding it increasingly difficult to feed their families, to care for their livestock. Things are becoming scarce. And in verse 1, we see that they soon learn of the fact that Egypt has grain and they have plenty. It's for sale. In verse 1, it says, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? <clears throat> Jacob and his sons know and, and learn of this wonderful truth that there is grain available in Egypt. But even though there is grain available to be bought, Jacob notices something strange. He notices that there is a reluctance amongst his sons to make this journey. There's a, a reluctance to, to pack up and to head down towards Egypt and to buy grain. In verse 1 it says there, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? Basically, Jacob says this, he says, Why do you keep giving each other that funny look? Why do you keep giving each other that strange look? 
Because he noticed every time that Egypt was mentioned, the brothers had a strange exchange of looks amongst themselves. You know, the brothers had this look and then there was no desire, no urgency to do anything. And he couldn't understand this attitude. He couldn't understand the, the lack of desire to make a journey down to Egypt that would spare their families from suffering. But you know, for us, knowing the rest of the story, the reason is clear, isn't it? You know, the very mention of Egypt brought back the guilt of what they'd done unto Joseph. You know, they'd spent 20 years trying to forget and to cover their sin and keep it hidden. But the mention of Egypt stirs their memories, doesn't it? It brings it back to the, to the front of their minds. It stirs their guilt, their conscience. Husek writes this, Joseph's brothers lived with a terrible secret for 20 years. They never talked about it, but it never left them. Any mention of Joseph or Egypt brought back the guilt. They needed to be set free from the power of their terrible secret. You see, sin leaves us feeling the weight of that secret, doesn't it? You know, if you don't deal with sin, you hide it away, it leaves us with a weight upon us. A heavy weight upon us that, you know, like the brothers, you know, you can over time sear your conscience. I mean, they've done that, haven't they? For 20 years, they've seared their conscience. But the guilt of that sin is still there. And then certain things stir our memory to remind us of that sin, to force us to confront it and to deal with it. And that's what's happening here. This is God beginning a work. He's making them uh, confront their sin, to see their sin and deal with it. You see, the brothers here, they'd see their conscience. They tried desperately to forget. But God is putting them in a position where they can't forget. And they must face it. Now, as we read on, we see that Jacob, he eventually has to order them to go and buy food. In verse 2 it says, And he said, Behold, <clears throat> I have learned that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. And ben but Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent, sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So we see here that Jacob basically, he has to order his sons to get on the road and go and buy food. Of course, they're all grown men now they have their own families but we see that Jacob is still the head of the clan isn't he okay he's still the head of the family and he orders them to go and of course he sends the 10 but he refuses to let Benjamin go and we understand why you know he's already lost Joseph and he doesn't want to lose Benjamin the final remaining link that he has to his favorite wife Rachel and so Benjamin stays behind but the other 10 brothers set out for Egypt and in this way, we see that God has used the famine as the very first step to get the brothers to confront their sin. Okay? It's got them heading towards Egypt, okay? the place that reminds them of Joseph and what they did to him. They're on their way down there to buy grain. That brings us now to the second event that God uses, and that is the harsh treatment. The harsh treatment that they now find in Egypt. Look in verse 6, it says, And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, 
But he made himself strange unto them and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. And he said unto them, Ye are spies. To see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. As the brothers now arrive in Egypt, you know, they come before the governor of the land to buy grain. And of course, they find themselves before none other than Joseph. As we read there in verse 6, it says, And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. They come in and they bow down before the governor, before Joseph. You know, this meeting is divinely ordained of the Lord, isn't it? You know, this is not a chance meeting. This is not a coincidence. This is divinely ordained of the Lord. God had declared 20 years before this that this event would happen. God had declared in a dream to Joseph in Genesis 37 that his brothers would come and make obeisance under him. And he would rule over them in some way, some form. Just go back there, Genesis 37. Let's remind ourselves of his dream there. <clears throat> Genesis 37 and verse 5, it says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said to them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. And behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now Joseph had had this dream that his brothers would make obeisance unto him. And now the brothers unknowingly are fulfilling that dream, aren't they? You know, fulfilling at least the, the start of this dream being fulfilled. The process of his family coming down to Egypt and being under Joseph's rule. Under his authority. You know, it was their hatred of Joseph and his desire to make sure that that dream never came to pass that motivated them to treat him so terribly in the first place, wasn't it? Genesis 37 and verse 19, it says, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. You know, one of the big motivations that they had in all the evil that they did to him was they wanted to stop this dream from coming to pass. They were trying to prevent the revealed will of God from happening. You know, instead, by selling him as a slave, they had actually provided the very way, the very means by which God's will would come to pass. The dream would be fulfilled. You know, once more, we see the sovereignty of God, don't we? doesn't matter about what man does. God's will will come to pass. And indeed, God uses the evil of men to accomplish his purposes. And so we see God's sovereign, here, uh, sovereign hand here in this meeting with the brothers coming and making obeisance before Joseph. And as we read on, we, we see that Joseph, he immediately recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. Verse 7, it says, And Joseph saw his brethren... And he knew them, but he made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. Now Joseph immediately recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. 
And we can understand why. I mean, the last time they saw him, he was a 17-year-old kid, a teenager. And now standing before them is a 37-year-old man. He is dressed like an Egyptian. He is speaking like an Egyptian. Everything about him just says that he's an Egyptian ruler. And so we're not surprised that they don't recognize him. On the other hand, you know, as Joseph looks at his brothers, not much has changed. They've got a bit older, but they still look like shepherds. They still look like his brothers. And so he recognizes them immediately. And in verse 9, we're told that when he saw them, he remembered the dreams. In verse 9, it says, And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. And he spake unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. As soon as he sees his brothers, Joseph recalls the dreams, doesn't he? Straight away, he remembers what God had shown him in a dream when he was 17. As they make obeisance before him, he immediately recognized that this was the fulfillment of that dream. He immediately understands why God has placed him in this position. You know, I'm sure he already had an inkling why he was there, but he's getting confirmation now, isn't he, as to why he's in this position. He's there by God to preserve his family from this famine. But, you know, even though he recognizes his brothers, and undoubtedly Joseph was filled with emotion, you know, filled with love and compassion and a desire to tell them who he was. Instead, we see Joseph speaks harshly unto them and he accuses them of being spies. In verse 7, in the middle there, it says, and spake roughly unto them. And then it says at the end of verse 9, ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. And so he speaks roughly unto them and he, he accuses them of being spies. Now Joseph here is not playing games with his brothers. I sort of talked about this a little bit in the introduction. He's not playing games with his brothers. Rather, God here is directing Joseph's actions for a purpose. Joseph, under the guidance of the Lord, makes this, this accusation, and it is just yet another step in God preparing them to face their sin. This is yet another thing that God is going to use, these harsh words to bring them to confront their actions and deal with their sin. Gusick writes this, God recalled the dreams to his mind and guided him to be an instrument for the correction and restoration of the brothers. And so these harsh words are serving a purpose in God's plan, just like the, the famine served a purpose. It got them to come down to Egypt. It begins to make them think about Egypt and what they did to Joseph. Now these harsh words are again working in their hearts. It's another vehicle God is going to use. You see, as we read on, we see the brothers, they vehemently deny the charge that they're spies, don't they? In verse 10 it says, And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph spake unto them, That is that, that is it, that that I've, sorry, that is it that I have spoken unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Now, as you read their response here to Joseph, you can sense the fear in their voice, can't you? You, know, you can sense that it sort of starts out a little bit and then it's rising as they continue to respond. They're trying to give him more and more information. There's fear, there's desperation beginning to take hold. Because, you know, the, 
the accusation of being a spy is a serious crime, isn't it? Even today, it's a serious crime. It's a serious crime that they could be executed for. They might never get to see their families again. Unless they could somehow convince this governor that they were innocent. And in verse 15 and 16, we see Joseph tells them what they must do to prove their innocence. He says in verse 15, Hereby ye shall be proved... By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether, they be, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. You know, Joseph tells them here what they must do to prove their innocence. He says that, that, that only one of them can return, the rest must stay in prison, and one can go back and he must come back with Benjamin to prove the truthfulness of their words, to prove their innocence. And then in verse 17, we see Joseph puts them in prison for three days. It says, and he put them all together into ward three days. So he tells them, this is what you must do. And then he puts them in prison. And it's almost like he puts them there to think it over, doesn't he? He puts them there so that they can consider who should make this journey back on their own. But you know, those three days in prison also served to get them thinking, didn't it? You know, three days in prison was invaluable to these brothers. It gave them a chance to sit there and to reflect and to consider what they'd really done unto Joseph. As they sat in an Egyptian prison, they began to fully understand what they'd subjected him to years earlier. You know, they'd thrown him into a pit They'd sat there and ignored his pleas for mercy. They'd sold him as a slave. They'd watched him led away in shackles uh, to, down to Egypt by the Midianite merchants. And now, in a sense, they find themselves in a similar condition, don't they? You know, they find themselves now sitting in prison and it's because their pleas for mercy have been ignored. They're there in prison suffering for something they didn't do. You know, they're not spies. In a sense, they're innocent of the crime that they were accused of. And so they're suffering unjustly. They've lost their freedom. They're beginning to understand how Joseph must have felt all those years. You see, their own affliction causes them to remember their sin and to begin to change their attitude towards their sin. For the first time, they're beginning to consider the consequences of their actions. They're beginning to consider the fact that maybe the situation they're in is because of what they did to Joseph years earlier. And we see this revealed as Joseph now comes to them and he informs them of his decision. Look in verse 18. It says, And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison, Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. Joseph now comes and he informs them that he's had a change of heart. Only one of them has to stay in prison. The rest are free to go. The rest may return home and take grain with them. But he informs them that if they wanted to return and to not be put to death when they came back, to spare the life of their brother as well, they must bring Benjamin with them. 
That's what he says there. You must bring Benjamin to spare your lives. You know, when the brothers hear this response from Joseph, their response reveals to us the extent to which God has been working in their hearts during these three days and, and, and through all this. Look at verse 21. It says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Now, in verse 21, we see the brothers now admit their guilt. They admit their guilt. They're, they're talking amongst themselves here as they've heard what Joseph has said. and Basically, their lives have been threatened as well. And they say, we deserve this. They talk amongst themselves and we see them for the first time showing some sense of remorse over what they did, the way they treated him. There's guilt, there's remorse as they sat and ignored his pleas. I mean, it says that there. You know, in verse 21, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. They're sitting there and they realize how terrible were we. They're beginning to feel some sorrow over their actions. They sat and they were so callous, so cruel towards their brother. Now, the end of verse 29, it makes it clear that they considered their present situation, their distress to have come upon them as judgment for their sin. It says, therefore is this distress come upon us. They're looking at their situation and they're saying, this is because of our actions. We deserve this. And to add to that in verse 22, Reuben reminds them that he had told them, don't do it. Verse 22, it says, and Reuben answered them, saying, spake I not unto you, saying, do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. You know, Reuben now speaks up and he reminds them, he says, I warned you not to do it. I said, don't harm the child, don't harm Joseph. Don't sin against him. You know, Reuben wasn't innocent. We know that because he kept the sin covered up too, didn't he? He went home and he maintained the lie to his father and he made no attempt to chase after the Midianite merchants and rescue Joseph. He's not innocent in this, but he had spoken out against their actions and he reminds them of that here. And he says at the end of verse 22, it says, Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Reuben says he agrees with them all. He says, yeah, this is what we deserve. His blood is required. We're getting what we deserve for our actions towards Joseph. Morris writes this. He says, these 10 brothers have been through a truly traumatic experience the past few days and it had stirred their conscience to the depths. They realized fully that they were now receiving what they long deserved and so their bitterness was directed against themselves, not against the governor. You see, they don't have any bitterness towards the governor. They're not angry towards him. They're angry at themselves. They're looking at their, their actions and their remorse for what they did. As I said, we see for the first time a sense of remorse, of sorrow. They lived with the guilt for 20 years. They, they thought they'd gotten away with it. You know, it was buried. It's in the past. You know, they'd all moved on with their lives, but God has used these events to place them in a position where they must face their sin. They can't ignore it anymore. They can't keep bearing it. They have to face their sin. You know, as they're speaking amongst themselves, Joseph overhears it, doesn't he? 
He overhears them and it brings him to tears. Look there in verse 23. It says, And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them and wept. And returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph, of course, as verse 23 says, he's been speaking through an interpreter. And so they didn't realize that he could understand them. And so they're talking openly in front of him. And Joseph, when he hears them speaking with such sorrow and remorse, bitterness towards themselves over what they did, Joseph weeps. Gusick writes this, he says, Joseph was overcome with emotion as he saw and understood the work of God in the conscience of his brothers. God had to do a deep work in the hearts of these brothers for the relationship to be reconciled. You know, Joseph loved his brothers, didn't he? He cared about them. He always had. And he wanted nothing more than to have a restored relationship with them. And hearing them speak like this showed that God was doing something in their hearts. There's a change happening. Something is working in their hearts. God's working, bringing them to repentance. But you notice that even now, even though he, he weeps, and it's, it's weeping for joy too, isn't it, over what he's hearing, even though he weeps, he returns to them again, it says in verse 24, and returned to them and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. He, he doesn't change his course of action here, does he? He doesn't now come back in and reveal himself under his brothers. And the reason is it's not yet time. It's not yet God's timing. There's still more work to be done in the hearts of his brothers. You see, they had sorrow over their actions, and that's good. They're feeling guilty. Their conscience is beginning to be awakened. But you notice as yet they haven't acknowledged God. As yet they have not acknowledged that they sinned against God. They haven't once mentioned the Lord. And that's where the third event comes in. We see now the money returned. The money returned. And we'll start again in verse 24. So he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack. And he gave them provision for the way and thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender, in the inn he espied his money. For behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? Now Joseph... Now, after he wipes his tears, he returns and he takes Simeon now into custody. Simeon's the one who's been chosen to stay behind. We don't know why. Word of God doesn't tell us why he's the, the one chosen. Perhaps he volunteered himself. But in any case, he's the one who stays behind in prison. And the other nine brothers are given now corn, given everything that they came to buy. But Joseph also instructs that their money be put back into their sacks Let's just read there in verse 25. It says, Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way, and thus did he unto them. Now Joseph now blesses his brothers, doesn't he? You know, he blesses them. He, he gives them their money back. And so in effect, he's given his family grain for free. 
And not only that, he gives them provisions for the way. And so we see Joseph here showing kindness unto them without them knowing, but he's blessing his brothers. But you know, this blessing is going to be used by God to yet again work in the hearts of the brothers. You see, they were, of course, unaware that Joseph had restored their money. And it wasn't until they stop along the way at an inn for the night that one of them discovers the money in their sack. Verse 27. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he espied his money, for behold, it was in his sack's mouth. Now they stop for the night and one of them opens up his sack to feed the animals and there's the money. He finds it. But there is no joy at this discovery. You know, verse 28 tells us what their reaction was. It says, And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack, and their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? Verse 28 says, Their heart failed them, and they were afraid. Their reaction is not one of joy at finding the money. It's one of fear. You see, far from being happy, they're afraid because in their mind, they'd only just escaped with their lives from Egypt. And now they're afraid that they're going to be accused of being thieves as well as spies. And basically, they're looking at the situation thinking there is no way we can return to Egypt safely ever. And so they're full of fear now. Their heart fails within in them. They're afraid. And it's only now that we finally see the brothers mention God. At the end of verse 28, we read, They said, What is this that God hath done unto us? For the first time, the brothers consider the hand of the Lord. For the first time, they look back over all this and they go, What is God doing? They can see that God is in all this. And their guilty conscience has truly been awakened to their sin. Awakened to the fact that while their actions were against their brother, they'd wronged their brother. But it was against God they'd sinned. You see that? They'd wronged their brother, yeah, and they felt sorry for that. That was the second part. They started to feel sorry. But now they're finally understanding it's against God. It's against God that they'd sinned. They were beginning to understand they're accountable before the Lord. You know, it's the truth of Psalm 51 and verse 4, where David says, Against thee, thee only. Have I sinned and done this evil in thy sights? Sin is against the Lord. And the brothers are finally being brought to that place where they're face to face with this accountability before God. And the result, they're afraid. They're afraid. They know they're guilty. They know they deserve the judgment of God. And they are unsure exactly what God is doing or exactly how it's all going to end. But they know their sin has found them out. You know, in Joseph's brothers, we see the result of sin that's left undealt with. Sin that we we seek to cover up and we seek to hide it away. You know, man may never know of our sin, but God does. God sees it. And eventually our sin will find us out. Numbers 32, 23 says, and be sure your sin will find you out. Eventually it will come back to haunt us in the sense. You know, sin undealt with carries with it a burden of guilt. And we can sear our conscience as much as we like, but eventually we'll be brought to the surface. You know, our Lord will chasten us and 
just like he did here with the brothers, he'll bring it to our mind with events. You know, he might use events just like this to prick our minds, to bring us to realize our sin and to confront our sin. The chastening hand of the Lord to bring us to a place of repentance. Isn't that Hebrews 12, verse 6 and 7? Where it says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. God chastens his children. We're his children. He chastens us to bring us back to him, to get us to confront our sin. See, God in his love will always seek to deal with us, seek to bring us back to him. And that's what we see God doing here with the, with the brothers, bringing them to face their sin, bringing them to a place of repentance. You know, God will do that in our own lives, but it's always better to acknowledge and deal with our sin early, isn't it? You know, 1 John 1, 9, Darren mentioned it this morning. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's always better to deal with our sin early, isn't it? To come before the Lord, confess and keep a short account with God. Far better we keep our hearts right before God, our relationship right with others, than to hide our sin and to find ourselves like these brothers under the correcting hand of Almighty God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, as we consider these ten brothers, Lord, the sin of 20 years earlier catches up with them. Lord, you had not forgotten their sin. And Lord, now you bring it to the surface and you make them to confront their sin. And Lord, help us in our own lives to realize that sin undealt with, Lord, carries with it a burden of guilt, a weight upon us. And that, Lord, you are indeed a loving Heavenly Father and you will chasten your children. You will seek to bring us to a point where we confront that sin. And so, Lord, today I pray you work in our own hearts and if there is sin that we need to deal with, Lord, I pray that we would. And that, Lord, you help us to keep those short accounts with you and keep our relationship right before others as well. Lord, bless as we close now and bless the time over lunch, we pray in Jesus' name.